0: You're reading from Genesis, chapter 14, verses 13 through 24. If you're reading along, this is from the Common English Bible. When a survivor arrived, he told Abram the Hebrew, who lived near the oaks of the Amorite Mamre, who was the brother of Eshkel and Aner, Abram's treaty partners. When Abram heard that his relative had been captured, he took all of the loyal men in his household, 318, and went after them as far as Dan. During the night, he and his servants divided themselves up against them, attacked, and chased them to Hobah, north of Damascus. He brought back all of the looted property, together with his relative Lot, and Lot's property, wives, and people. After Abram returned from his attack on Keterleomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom came out to the Sheba Valley, that is, the king's valley, to meet him. Now Melchizedek uh, excuse me, Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priests of Elyon had brought bread and wine and he blessed him. Bless Abram by Elion, creator of heaven and earth. Bless Elyon who gave you the victory over your enemies. Abram gave Melchizedek one-tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and take the property for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I promised the Lord, El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth, that I wouldn't take even a thread or a sandal strap from anything that was yours so that you couldn't say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. The only exception is that the young men may keep whatever they have taken to eat, and the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, may keep their share."
1: Thanks, Brian. This is why we ask people to volunteer to read scripture before we actually tell them what they're reading, because this is how we do that. Like, so just volunteer. We'll we'll let you figure out the words later. So, yeah, this part of it. So, when we get into these uh, Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, we'll see a lot of names that we're not familiar with, and we'll be unpacking those this summer as we go through our series. How many people here are Disney fans? We have any Disney fans in the house? Yeah. All right. So. I've spent time at Disney World with my kids, that's uh, in Florida, and I know a lot of folks go to California, which is the original Disneyland here in California. So we took our daughters there right after um, Disney bought the rights to Star Wars. I don't know if you know, you know, Star Wars, and this is after the first three Star Wars movies, the real Star Wars, I would say. We can have that debate later for any Star Wars fans. But we had these Star Wars and 3. And when we went and took our girls to Disney, and at Disney, you can go, they have people in character, and you can go meet them and get your picture taken with them and everything. So we went to, we stood in line to meet and have our picture taken with Darth Vader, who was the original, you know, dark Sith Lord of the original series. And so here's the picture we came out with uh, from that meeting with Darth Vader. So. As you can see, I put bunny ears up on Darth Vader, and everybody in the crowd waiting in line was, were laughing. And then the person who was in the Darth Vader suit obviously realized something was going on behind him, and he starts staring me down as I walk away. I'm like, you know, see you later, Darth Vader. So it was a fun moment. I've saved that picture for just such occasions like this. And so we just joked around, and because, you know, Disney, you're having fun, you're hanging out with your family, and good, good family memory. And you can see how young our girls were at that point. So fast forward a few more years and we go back to Disney, but now this is after Disney has made the first of their movies, the new, the new series, right? And the new character is uh, Kylo Ren. And so just for funs, kicks and giggles, we decided to go and get our picture taken with Kylo Ren. And here's my attempt to get my picture taken with Kylo Ren. And so you can see I'm doing the same thing because it was a callback from when the girl, but Kylo Ren is trying to get away from me and because that they didn't want that to happen. And the, the attendants with Kylo Ren at this point intervene and stop me from doing that. And they scold me. I mean, like I got scolded. And they were like, you can't do that to the Dark Lord or whatever. That's what, you know, they're like trying to, and I'm like, what do you mean? I did it to Darth Vader. Why can't I do it to, you know, like, so that's me going. And I'm like, I thought we were, I thought this was the happiest place on earth. This is supposed to be fun. Right. But I later, uh, I found out in talking to somebody later that who worked at Disney, I said, well, what was that about? Like, why did I get scolded? And uh, they were like, well, they're very into preserving the character Right? And they didn't want you to mess with the character, the image of this character, because they were making more movies, and they didn't want you to, uh, they, they wanted to keep and maintain the image of this character. And I thought, okay, that's a good example of image management, right? That Disney is going through all this, even scolding people, if they don't keep that image, right? Do we do, we do this? Do, you, do we as humans do this? Do we try and manage an image to other people? Whether it be the dark side or the light side. You know, when we're in church, it's like, well, let's be the light side, right? Uh, when in, we're around other places, maybe we're in a place, we want to represent, some of us may even want to represent the dark side, right? And so, even though that, that theme plays throughout Star Wars films, I think there's a image management that we do, right? In our relationships with people... And even in the church, right? To manage the image and how we present ourselves. And we try and protect and manage that image to other people. Just as Disney was trying to manage the image of these characters, right? So, you're probably going, where is Matt going again? Don't worry. It will make sense. So, Hold on to this idea of image management. Because today, we're going to take a look at a priest. We actually heard about a priest named Melchizedek. And in this series, we're talking about priests, prophets, and kings. So I thought we'd, we'd talk a little bit about a priest today. And I thought, let's start with the first priest in the Bible, which is a priest and king named Melchizedek. Now, what's happened, if, you were, uh, if we listen to that lesson again, just to remind us, what's happened is four kings have now battled with five kings. And the, uh, one of the kings that was defeated was the king of Sodom. Now, Lot, the nephew, Abram's nephew, Lot, we hear about him later in Genesis, and we hear about Sodom later in Genesis. But at this moment, what happens is that his Lot nephew is carried off and held captive after the battle and taken uh, by one of the other kings. And so the king takes him into captivity. So Abram rallies his warriors, 318 warriors, to go rescue his nephew, Lot. And he does it. He actually goes... And he gets his nephew back, and he gets some of the plunder back from, for the king of Sodom. And he comes back victorious. And as he's coming back, two kings go out to meet him in this valley of the kings. And the one is the king of Sodom, who we're going to get to in a little bit. But the first king we see that's mentioned here is this priest and king named Melchizedek, a priest king. And so this is the king of Salem and also a priest. And it says he is the priest of El Elyon. In fact, here's the key verse for us to kind of take a look at. What, this is what he says to Abram and he blesses Abram and he says this. He says, bless Abram by El Elyon, creator of heaven and earth. Bless El Elyon who gave you the victory over your enemies. Now, that is a different way of saying the most high God. May the most high God bless you. Now, what's happening here in, in Genesis is very important. Is because what Abram, and what, why this is mentioned four times, El Elyon is mentioned in the text four times, referring to the most high God, is because they lived in a land of polytheism or where people were worshiping multiple gods, got nature gods, all these different gods were going on in the land. And what the king of Salem and this priest king is saying, Melchizedek is saying, is that I'm a monotheist, <laughs> I, I worship the most high God. And Abram's like, me too, yeah, me too. Like, and so Abram and Melchizedek are aligned around this idea of, the, of worshiping the most high God in a land and culture that was not doing that. And so that's what's happening here in the text. Now, a little bit, uh, some of you may think, well, who is Melchizedek? Uh, maybe you're not, maybe you're just gonna listen about some history. Uh, but part of what we're trying to do this summer series is to learn a little bit of the history in the Hebrew Scriptures as well. So who's Melchizedek? Well, first of all, he's a monotheistic priest and king, right? He's likely the founder of the city of Salem or what later became known as Jerusalem, right? So this is a, a significant site that this, is, this event is taking place. Later, it's the same area in which Abram takes uh, Isaac to be sacrificed on that mountain where, where it ends up being Jerusalem, right? And so this is a significant place in the Bible. Also, there, other people have genealogies in the Old Testament. Melchizedek does not have a genealogy. And that may be because outside the Bible, there are some other legends about Melchizedek that we could learn about. If we go to 2 uh, Enoch, which is a book outside the Bible, we learn that he's this legendary figure and that he was actually... Conceived immaculately, like Jesus, like without uh, without physical contact between his mother and his father. So he's born of the Holy Spirit, he's born of the Spirit. Basically, God conceives Melchizedek outside of this relationship, and then actually holds Melchizedek back until after the flood, uh, and and lets him then become a part of uh, the the planet. And that's a legend. That's out of another book. It's not in the Bible. Um, we're not saying that's a part of the Bible, or that's not necessarily what I'm saying, Mel- who Melchizedek is. So that's one thing. So, but it's important for us to understand, this is maybe how some of the Hebrews understood Melchizedek, right? That this person is a significant figure in their history and in their understanding of the Bible, right? The other thing is, is that if we go to Qumran, Qumran was an archaeological dig Uh, That unearthed scrolls uh, in caves in Israel. And if you've ever been to Israel or you go to Israel, I recommend you go there and see that site. But in one of the scrolls, guess who's mentioned? Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, in that particular writing, it talks about Melchizedek being the general of God's army, leading God's army back to earth at the end of time. And so again, we're seeing this, Melchizedek is this uh, now this priest and king and warrior image, right within in this in this special image. Now some would say, well Melchizedek is. Some people have actually tried to interpret and say, well Melchizedek is Jesus, and Jesus showed up in Genesis, and this is really just Jesus. I don't know that we can go that far with that. We'll take a look a little bit of that. I don't not we're not saying that, but there is something significant about Melchizedek, and I would suggest to you the thing to stick with here is that. Melchizedek represents a priest and a king. and they're together here. Remember this series about priests, prophets, kings. So here we are with that. Now, there's another time when Melchizedek is mentioned, and it's in Psalm 110, and this is a psalm of David, and it's referring to King David. We heard a little bit about King David last week. So here's what it says in Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn a solemn pledge and won't change his mind. You are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. So, what was, so David, a king, if you read about David and you study some more about David, you'll find that he also took on some priestly roles. So, in a way, David was also a priest and a king, and we also know he was a warrior, right? So, priest, king, warrior. Uh, in David. And then the other place we find out about Melchizedek is one other passage. And this is really all we got in the Bible on Melchizedek is all of chapter seven in Hebrews. And we're not going to, I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but take a look at just a few verses in chapter seven. And this is referring to Jesus. And it's even clearer if another priest appears who is like Melchizedek, he has become a priest by the power of a life that can't be destroyed. Rather than a legal requirement about physical descent, this is confirmed. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So you do this three texts. Do you see a theme here? Priest, king, and there's this order, right? And actually, there are more than two orders of priests in the Bible, but the two orders that we would raise up here is that there's this order of Melchizedek which is different than the order of priests that we typically understand in the Bible, which is Aaron and sons. And Aaron, we find out about Aaron and sons as a priestly line. We get the Levitic, what do we call the Levitical priests. If you go read the book of Leviticus, you get all the understanding of what the priesthood was about. The priesthood starts in, in the Exodus. They, Moses creates a tabernacle, and the priests are these intermediaries, these mediators. Media, medi, you, you know what I'm talking about. Mediators between God and people. They're, they're called to this holy role and they're human. And that's part of where you and I are, right? We're, we're, whole, we're called to be holy and yet we're also human and we struggle with that. We, we have a light side and we have a dark side, right? We all struggle with that. And so these priests, uh, Aaron and sons, they would represent the people, they would go to the tabernacle, offer sacrifices and in the tabernacle then later in Israel's history becomes a temple. And the temple lasts, and they begin to work in the temple and, and uh, be a part of the temple system all the way until 70 AD when the temple is destroyed. So, that's the, the history behind this in a nutshell. Did I say that quick enough? Did I get through it quick enough? So, we got these two orders, but I want to touch on one more thing. Let's touch on one more thing, and then we're going to come back to this image part, this holy human image Now, Abram responds differently to the two kings. Abram aligns himself with Melchizedek and not with the king of Sodom. And this is significant because when when, uh, he gets the blessing from Melchizedek, what's his response? He offers 10%. This is where we come up with this idea of tithing or giving 10% of our income back to God. And so this was a system of giving back to God and giving to the priesthood. And this carries out throughout the Bible as a pattern of, of worship. And so this happens. And then what does he say to king, the king of Sodom? What did he say? Do you remember? Go ahead. This is audience participation time. What, what did he say to the king of Sodom? I'm not going to take anything from you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't even want to be associated with you, right? That's what Abram is saying. What Abram is doing is he's saying, I want to move more towards the most high God in my life. I want to worship the most high God. I want to align my life with the most high God. And I do not want to align with the king of Sodom, which represents the the depravity, the, the dark side, right? And that's what Abram is saying in this particular passage is that he wants to align. And don't we all kind of struggle with that, right? That we all are trying to we have this call to be holy, and yet we're still human. We have divinity within us, the image of God within us, and then we also have depravity together. And we wrestle with this, right? So we 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 have to wrestle it. And that's part of our image management. Right? So that's part of it, right? So we're gonna jump real quick to the New Testament to remind ourselves of something about priesthood. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You hear it? Do you hear the king? You hear the priest again? You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of, darkness into his amazing light, right? You hear that again? Hear these themes again? Priest, royal, priesthood, king, priest, light, dark, (laughs) right? See how I just dovetailed Star Wars in with the Bible? I just wanted to say, I'm a little, sorry, I'm geeking out on that. So, you know, one of the things that even around comes up to be authentic with you all, so I showed you two pictures, two Disney pictures. And there was a part of me when I look at those pictures, I wanna do some image management in me. And I, cause I thought about it and I thought, no, that would be image management. And so let me explain. Uh, How many people don't like seeing yourself in pictures? I do not like seeing myself in pictures, right? And there are times I'll see myself in a picture and I'll go, oh, that's not good, right? And I felt that way about one of those pictures. You may not have noticed it, but you notice how you know how you see yourself and picking you're like, oh, so in one picture, I'm young <laughs> and thin and tan. And in another picture, I'm not as tan, not as young, and not as thin. And there's this part of me that wants to like manage that, that wants to like present to the world a different image of Matt, right? Now there's something significant about this is that when the the, the one version, the, the skinny Young version of me was also during a season when I was doing off-road triathlons. So I was training 20 hours a week. So I'm naturally going to be thin and and fit and everything and it also helps that I was young. Later, a few years later, I'm not doing triathlons anymore. I'm not exercising, I'm not practicing fitness, I'm not practicing good eating. I'm not so there are practices. So here's my thought on this. It's not about but body image right it's not about managing the image or explaining the image away it's about what are the practices that will be healthy practices and what are the practices that aren't healthy practices right and then let's stop worrying about what my body looks like and let's just practice the things that are healthy does that make different does that feel different right totally different feeling what if that's what's going on for us what if God says, I, I, you know, stop worrying about image management and start thinking about how you align yourself with the Most High God and practice things that align your life with the Most High God and then let the chips fall where they may, so to speak, right? You'd let it be, right? So here's a, here are the two application points. Instead of managing our image, we align our image with the Most High God. We practice things that align our lives with the divine, with the image of God within us. And we give our lives to those things more than we give our lives to the things that are unholy, right? And we practice and we give those things to, the, to those parts of our lives. And then as we practice those things, we'll hopefully start to see the image of God more and more in our lives as we practice those things, right? You know, I think one of the reasons people do not come to worship uh, a lot, this was before COVID, this is not a COVID thing, is because when I talk to people outside the church, I'm often having conversations like, well, they'll say to me, I don't, I don't think I would feel comfortable there, or my life's not good enough, or will I fit in, or will people accept me? What are the, what's, what's going on? They're, that's image management, right? They're trying to figure out, I, am I going to be exposed <laughs> if I go to church, right? And so where have they come up with this idea of image management? Well, it's in our society, it's in our culture, but if they see us doing this, they're likely to feel that way, right? And so what would it look like for us to just accept people as they come, right? And then we point them to the most high God, right? So that would be the second part, right? Is that we point others to the most high God. Like, so we're aligning our lives, like Abram, to the Most High God, and then we're also in our relationship with other people, we're pointing them to the Most High God. There's a phrase that we uh, use, or you may have heard used in the church. I've learned it, and I use it uh, often here. And I'll say something like, uh, let's go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Has anybody heard that phrase before? So when we say that, what does that mean? I want to unpack that a little bit. So when I say hands of Jesus, I'm saying, let's go serve people. Let's go care for people. Let's be kind, you know, let's serve. Our hands represent our serving others, our actions. So here's the thing though, is if I just serve people and never tell them the other, uh, the good news, and that's the feet, right? So when I say feet, when we say feet, so the hands are serving, the feet are the people who bring good news beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So when we say, let's be the hands, the serving part of Jesus, and let's be the feet, we bring good news with us with Jesus. So the good news of Jesus. So it's action and it's word. It's action and it's also telling people about God's wonderful deeds. That's what it says. That's that's what it means to be the royal priesthood, to tell our people about God's wonderful deeds. So, We make this about image management when we don't do those together. And here's how that works. So if I serve someone and never tell them that God's involved in that serving, who gets credit for the service? Me. Whose image am I managing at that point? Am I managing God's image or am I managing my image? I'm managing my image, right? So, if I just serve and never share the good news with somebody, I'm just managing my own image. Now, the flip side of that is I can, if I share the good news and never serve and love people and care for people and have compassion for people, then I'm a hypocrite. And that hypocrisy is also image management, right? Then I've got to manage my hypocrisy, right? So, again, I'm back to image management. That's why we to be both the hands and the feet of Jesus together. That we have to do both. We have to move in our relationship with God and point other people to God with our hands and with our feet as we serve and as we love and as we share our faith with others. So I want to just wrap up by having us think about this idea of what kind of people we're being for others. You know, I did talk about triathlon. I'm not doing image management, but I was in a triathlon and I was on a 13 half marathon. I was I was running up a mountainside and I knew there was a water station at the top of this mountain at mile 8. And I knew that because they told us that the boy scouts had lugged all this water up the mountain for us to have this water station up on top of the mountain. So I knew mile 8 I was going to get some refreshment. I was going to get some water. And so I'm running, I'm tired, I am I'm about ready to give up, quit and I get up to the top of the mountain and I go and there's no water. It's like, it's all gone. It was one of these hot days, it was a day like today. It's probably why I'm thinking about it. But it was a day like today and you get up there and there's no water. We have water in the foyer, by the way. But there's no water, right? And I remember just like, ah, oh, the one thing I desperately needed. Was refreshment to renew me, right? I want you to think about you and I. Are we wells of refreshment for people? Are we the people of God? That when people encounter us, are we refreshing them with the divine, the image of God, the, refresh, the soul refreshment, the spiritual refreshment? Or are we just dried up wells? that don't have anything to offer people, right? Let's pray together. God, we come to you today. We thank you that it's hot out here. That it reminds us of our thirst for you and our thirst for divinity, the thirst for the image of God within us, a thirst and longing for you in our lives. And Lord, we struggle with that. We wrestle with that, each of us. We're all human and we're all called to be holy. I know that I'm human And yet I'm called to be holy. And it's such a hard thing to do. Yet, Lord, help us to not worry about our image management, but help us to just simply align our souls, our hearts, our minds with you, the most high God of our lives. And help us to align ourselves into that image of God and into your world in such a way that when people encounter us, we're just simply pointing them to you. We're saying, Jesus is the well of refreshment. He is the bread of life. Go to him. He is the one that will renew you, refresh you. And may we point others to Jesus with our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.